I invite you this morning to turn over with me to the Gospel of John. Last week we began our study of John's writings by taking one week to focus on the life story of John the Apostle, a sermon entitled John the Man. Today, I want to begin a a seven-sermon, I think, study of John's Gospel, just kind of overviewing it, before we'll eventually go to the letters of John. But I want to start today with the question of why John wrote the book that we now call the Gospel of John or the Gospel according to John. After all, John is not just placed forth in the order of the New Testament uh, after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's not just that. John was actually written well after the other three Gospels were written, probably a good 20 years after the other three Gospels were written. And it seems likely that John had access to those other Gospels and that he had at least heard them, if not read them himself. And so that raises the question of why would he write another one? What was he hoping to accomplish? Now, there is more than one good answer to this question, but there's no doubt as to what John's main goal was. Do you know how we know that? Because in this book, John tells us exactly what he was hoping to accomplish. Okay, where does he do that? Look over at John chapter 20, verse 30. So at the end of the book, John actually comes right out and tells us why he wrote what he did. John 20, verse 30. John says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, now that right there is rare in the Bible. What's rare? It's rare to have an author tell us so plainly why he wrote what he wrote. John wanted us to know what he was hoping to accomplish. But we can also draw at least two other things out from, from, that, from that text. One is that John could have written more than what he did, right? I mean, he comes back to this in the last verse of the book, too. Look at the last verse of the book. This is over one chapter. John 21, verse 25. John says in the last verse of the book, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. John knew and saw far more than he wrote. So how did John decide which stories to tell and which to skip, which words of Jesus to record and write down and which ones to omit? It all had to do with his goal. And what does John say it was? John wrote what he did so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the promised king, and through that faith we might find life. And let me just say up front, that is my goal 
for everyone here. If you've already come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, if you've already given him your allegiance, this gospel is meant to strengthen you in that resolve. But perhaps you're here and you've struggled at times, perhaps even this week, with how we can really know if the story of Jesus is true. I've talked with kids, teens, many others about this. Sometimes we talk with friends who don't believe. And you wonder, why do I believe? John wrote this gospel and the specific stories in it to help you have full confidence that Jesus is the one true king. Or maybe you're here today and you know in your heart, I do not believe. Maybe you would even say, I don't even want to believe. I'm just here for somebody else. The Gospel of John was written for you with the specific goal to change you so that you would come to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and find eternal life and joy in him. But this all raises the question, how does John try to prove that in the book? How does he try to prove that this is true? And to answer that, I want to start in the introduction to the Gospel of John. It's often called the prologue to John's Gospel. It's the first 18 verses. So go back to the very beginning of John's Gospel. John chapter 1. I'm going to, we're going to read the first five verses, but we're not really going to focus on them this week. I plan to wait till next week. But, but I want to read them. John 1 verse 1. <clears throat> In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. As I said, my plan is to focus on those verses next Sunday. But it's still worth asking or answering at least one question about those. And that's the question, who is the word in that text? That is John's special way of talking about Jesus, the Christ, our Lord. In the beginning was the word. He's talking about Jesus Christ. The word was with God. The word was God. All things were made Through him, without him, there was nothing made that was made. John wastes no time in the gospel. Right out of the gate, he makes a massive claim about Jesus. A claim that if it's actually true, is earth-shaking, life-changing. The claim that Jesus of Nazareth, the man that John knew followed and loved is in fact the eternal word. The one through whom all things came into existence. The very son of God who became one of us and made his home among us. So in other words, this this book begins and ends with massive claims about Jesus. Claims that I think we would have to admit are outrageous unless they are true. Now, this brings me back to the question, 
how does John try to prove that his claims are true? And today I want to highlight one way, it might be the main way, that John tries to prove what he says about Jesus. It's something he does in the opening verses all the way to the last verses of the book. And you can see it starting in John 1, verse 6, to the next verse. So look at it. 1, 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. What's the repeated words in that? Think about how the Gospel of John begins. Audacious claims about the person and power of Jesus. Leading to verses 4 and 5, in him was light. And the the light was the light of all mankind. And then what does John do? He points immediately to John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light so that all people would believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Now look down at verses 14 and 15. And the word that existed for all time became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. John, the writer, is doing the same thing again. Do you catch it? He makes claims and he provides evidence. And what is the proof that he provides? He points twice in the prologue to John the Baptist, who was sent by God as a witness to do what? To bear witness about Jesus. This is one of the ways, if not the main way, that John tries to prove the claims that he makes about Jesus and that, in fact, Jesus made about himself. He points us again and again to the witness bearers, to people sent by God and to events orchestrated by God that God gave to us to assure us that Jesus is all who he said he was. And here's where I'm reminded of an occasional criticism of Christianity that goes something like this. Well, if what you're saying is true, there should be more proof. Or if this story about Jesus is actually true, and if God really wanted us to know it was true, God should have done more to convince me. In a lot of ways, I think that is the reasoning, or that is very similar reasoning to what Jesus himself faced when he would make claims about himself and to what John addresses in the gospel. So I want to give you a preview of what we're going to do the rest of the sermon. Two things. One, I want to show us briefly this theme of the witness bearers that goes throughout the whole book. Maybe it'll help you when you read it or if you listen to it. And then I want to go back and I just want to listen to the words, the voice of the very first 
witness bearer, John the Baptist. So turn over with me now to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, and I want to provide a bit of context. John 5, Jesus has just healed a lame man. Sounds great. That guy was happy about it. But Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. The Jewish leaders are not happy about that, specifically. So instead of rejoicing with this poor man, who's now well, they attack Jesus for healing the poor, this poor lame man on the Sabbath. And in John's Gospel, that leads to the first public speech of Jesus, the first lengthy speech in the Gospel of John. And in it, Jesus makes incredible claims about himself. Among other things, he claims to be the Son of God directly in the text. He claims to be the one judge of the entire world. And he claims that he is the only one who can grant resurrection on the last day and eternal life. By the way, we should stress those things to people who have a make-believe Jesus, okay? where he was just a kind, moral teacher who maybe went a little too far sometimes. The truth is, Jesus said absolutely crazy things about himself if they are not true. Okay. In any event, not surprisingly, not everyone in Jesus' day agreed with those claims. What was their argument? I want to listen to Jesus' words in John chapter 5, verse 31. So I'll start there. John 5, 31. Jesus says, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true, not valid. You see, Jesus knows he's bearing witness about himself, about his own identity and power. But he also knows that anyone, in theory, could claim anything about himself. So he says, in effect, if I'm the only one bearing witness, then my testimony wouldn't be valid. Now, although I would like to talk carefully through this whole text, we're, we're primarily going to read it. Okay? And I'll listen to where Jesus goes next. Look at verse 32. Jesus says, There is another who bears witness about me. He's probably talking here about God the Father. And I know that the testimony he bears about me is true. Then where does he go? Verse 33. You sent to John the Baptist, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. John was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very work that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. Now verse 39. You search the scriptures 
because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Now skip down to verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you've set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Now I'm assuming you heard the repetition, <laughs> repetition in that text about the witness bearers. First, Jesus bears witness to himself. But who else or what else does? God the Father, John the Baptist, the scriptures, Moses, and the works of Jesus all bear witness to Jesus. And by the way, those works of Jesus, John typically calls signs. And he records seven of them in the first half of the book. And we're going to look at that at, at a later date. But, but none of this satisfies the Jewish leaders. No matter how much evidence they are given, the rift between them and Jesus just continues to grow. Now, now there's a lot more that could be said about this theme in John. But I'm, I'm going to skip most of it and just jump ahead to the last witness bearer in John's gospel. Do you have any idea who it is? Okay. The text I want us to see about him is in John chapter 19. Who is the last witness bearer in John's gospel? John chapter 19. It has to do with something that happened at the cross. This is a story. Now you may know, or maybe, maybe you don't know, that it often took a very long time for someone to die by crucifixion. This was very intentional on the part of the Romans. And there are people who would stay on crosses for well over a day. But at times, to speed things up, soldiers would break the legs of those who were still alive because then they wouldn't be able to push themselves up to get breath and they would die very quickly. This brings us to John 19, the story of Jesus on, on the cross. And you remember, they did not break his legs. They did for the other guys, but not for him because Jesus had already died. But to make sure that he was dead, what did they do? It's John 19, verse 34. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. And he who saw it has borne witness. And his testimony is true. He knows he's telling the truth so that you too can believe who saw the water and the blood come out? It wasn't just the soldiers. Who else was there at the cross all the way to the bitter end? It was John the Apostle, the writer of the gospel. He was the only disciple who saw Jesus die. And he says at the end of the book, I too am a witness bearer so that you may believe with me. And John will say this again at the very end of the book. John 21, verse 24. 
the last, second to last, next to last verse of the book, 21-24, the writer says, this, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. So from the beginning to the end of the book, John points to the witnesses. And at the end, he offers himself as the last of the witness bearers, an eyewitness to both the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, so there's the theme in the book. <clears throat> and now I want to go back and I just want to listen to the voice of the very first person to bear witness to Jesus, John the Baptist. So this will be back at the beginning of the book. And let me just say, as you go back to the beginning of the book, that on the whole, I think most Christians have dramatically underappreciated the ministry and significance of John the Baptist. Okay, for one thing, our Old Testaments end not by telling us to look next for the Messiah. Our Old Testaments end by telling us to look for the messenger who will get us ready for the king. That promised messenger was none other than John the Baptist. In many ways, John the Baptist is the bridge between the Old and the New Testaments, between the promises made in the Old Testament and the promises kept in the New. John is the one who more than anyone else paved the way for Jesus. He got the people of Israel ready to meet him. And not just that, John is the one who identified Jesus as the Messiah to some of Jesus' most early and important followers. And that is not even to mention that Jesus says that John is the greatest man to ever live. Okay, that is why every single gospel account, all four, highlight at the very beginning the ministry and the message of John the Baptist. John's gospel is no different if anything, it emphasizes John the Baptist even more than the others. Maybe because John the writer was initially a follower of John the Baptist. But outside of the, the prologue, the first 18 verses, there are really two main stories of John the Baptist in the Gospel of John. And I want to listen to John's voice in both and let him bear witness to you about Jesus. John 1, verse 19. So after the prologue, it's the first story in the book. John 1, 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? John confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, Well, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We have to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, these people had been sent from the Pharisees. So they asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. And I want to just pause there. Remember, this is the greatest man, apart from Jesus, who ever lived. And what does he say? 
I am just a voice crying out, get ready for the king. Listen to me, there's someone coming behind me and I am not even worthy to bend down and untie his sandals. Verse 28. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes one who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. When John sees Jesus, what does he say? Two main things. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So when he saw the king, it's interesting, he called him not the shepherd, though he was also called the shepherd. A lot of Old Testament texts talked about the coming king or all the kings as shepherds of God's people. But when he saw Jesus that day, what did he say? He did not call him the shepherd. He called him the lamb of God. Like the lambs slaughtered by Israel at Passover. This is God's special lamb. The lamb God himself will give to deal not just with Israel's sins. Even though he's talking primarily to Israel, he doesn't say the lamb's only going to take away Israel's sins. So this lamb can take away the sin of the world. And the second thing John said about him is this is the guy I've been telling you about. The guy I said, after me is coming a guy who's better than me because he was before me. What does that mean? He was before me. We'll talk about this more right next week. But remember, John the Baptist was older than Jesus. Okay. So he's not just saying he's older than me. Okay. John, to some degree at least, already sensed that this man, Jesus, was no ordinary man. He was born of Mary, yes. But John knew this was, that was not the beginning of this man's existence. Perhaps what was on his mind singing this week, was the prophet Micah. Micah said, in a well-known prophecy, But you, O Bethlehem, small among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. But did you also notice how John says, When I began my ministry, I didn't know him. In other words, he's saying, I, I wasn't sure who it was, like specifically, when I began. So that raises the question, well, how, how do you figure it out? Like he's confident now. How did he figure it out? Look at verse 32. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen, and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, probably Andrew and John. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said to those guys, Behold, the Lamb of God 
Those two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. How did John know? How did he know that it was Jesus who was God's lamb? God the Father told him what to look for. Look for the man on whom the Holy Spirit descends and remains. That's the one. What does John say? I saw it, and I bore witness to it. This is the Son of God. And then you think, what is he? He said, this is the Lamb of God. This is the Son of God. And that's what the, the gospel is about. God sending his Son to be his Lamb. It's not, the gospel's not a message about how we loved God first, because we didn't. It's not that we've given first to God, so now God will give us something in return. Now, the gospel is about how God loved us first, so much that he sent his son to be his lamb, to be the final sacrifice to take away our sin. But did you also notice at the end how John points even his own disciples to Jesus? These guys had been following John. And yet when John sees Jesus, he tells them, you guys, look at that guy. Get behind that guy. And it's actually that theme that is picked up in the other major story about John the Baptist. I want to look at that one as we close. John chapter 3, verse 22. John 3, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples, this is 3.22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. And he remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing at Enon near Salem because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison at this time. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and everybody's going to him. Now do you get the gist of what the followers of John are saying? Teacher, don't you see? Everyone is leaving you to go after him. Soon there's not going to be anybody left. This leads to one of my favorite Stories about John in the Bible. Verse 27. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Jesus said, among those born of women, none is greater than John the Baptist. Perhaps what made him the greatest are the things in this passage. Do you see John's complete Trust in the sovereignty and goodness of God. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. Do you see John's deep love for Jesus? Jesus is the bridegroom, guys. I'm like the best man. The bride is for him. 
I was just trying to help get the bride ready for him. And so to see that happen makes my joy complete. And how can you not see the humility of John the Baptist? He reminds even his own followers who are jealous for him and his reputation, guys, it's never been about me. I told you the whole time. It's always been about him. He must increase and I must decrease. For a good reason, Jesus said those words about the greatness of John the Baptist. But just to fill out John's story, what happened to him after this? It's alluded to in the text. What happened to the greatest man to ever live? Not long after this story, John was arrested by Herod. And then what happened after that? He was gruesomely, shamefully, and unjustly murdered. But then I've been wondering, what happened to John after that? And I guess that depends on whether the message John gave his life for was true. What do you think? We've covered a lot of ground today, but as we close, I want to just draw out two applications from what we've heard from John the Baptist, the first witness bearer of Jesus, the first man to die in service to Jesus. The first application is drawn from the model of John. I'll put it this way. What was John's job description? What was he called to do? I think to summarize, I say, I think if you ask John, you probably say something like, my whole job was to point people to Jesus. Okay. What is our job description? What are you trying to do in life? I think that's a pretty good answer still to give. Whatever I do, I just want to point people to Jesus. How's that going? How'd it go this week? From your kids to a spouse to unbelieving family member to a coworker to a neighbor, what would be better than just to try to point them in some way, not to yourself, but to Jesus? That was, John, that was John's model. Right? What was John's heart toward Jesus? <clears throat> he must increase. I must decrease. Can we honestly say that? If, if only Jesus could increase and get more attention I'd be happy to decrease. That is a hard question. I think I can say, I know I I want to say that. Do you want to say that? Do you see Jesus like that? And then the second application is directly from the message of John the Baptist. What was his message? Jesus is the eternal Son of God. And Jesus the Son of God, 
is the Lamb of God who can take away our sins. And so what does he tell people to do with Jesus? Behold him. Believe him. Follow him. I wonder, did did anybody do that? Did anybody believe him? That was what his life was about. Did anybody believe him? And it's very interesting that in the Gospel of John, there's one more little verse about the ministry of John the Baptist that I don't think is in any other Gospel. This is John chapter 10, verse 41. John 10, verse 41. It says, And many came to Jesus, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. How about you? What would it take to assure you that what John said about this man was true? Are the witness bearers enough to convince you that you might find life and joy in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, would you take these words and again, these stories, and would you deepen uh, both our, our faith in Jesus and our love for Jesus. I thank you for the story of John the Baptist and for the witness he bore. I pray that we would follow in his steps in regard to Jesus. That we might find joy in Jesus. That we might just want to point people to Jesus. And that we might be content to say, Jesus must increase. I must decrease. Lord, help us. And I do pray that if there is anyone here this morning or or who will hear this message who does not yet believe, would you open their eyes that they might see for, for their good, their joy, and the honor of Jesus, I ask this. In Jesus' name, amen.